Sorry, I didn't tell you where. Matthew 2. Matthew 2. We did Luke last week. We're doing Matthew this week. Matthew chapter 2. I always like the book of Matthew because that's my brother's name. Okay. Uh, I'm talking a lot today. Who wants to read for me? Matthew 2, 1 through 6. Anybody feel like reading? Go for it. Matthew 2, 1 through 6, nice and loud. Actually, here. That's what this is for. (laughs) Test. Perfect. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he saw his star at its rising and for we saw his star at its rising and have been come to have come <coughs> to when king herod heard this he was deeply disturbed and all jerusalem with him so he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the christ would be born in bethlehem of judea they told him because this is what was written by the prophet and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, or land of Judah, excuse me, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. All right. And that is a quote from Micah, the prophet, prophesying Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. Okay, so we've got these wise men. Please refer to my map from last week. Okay. Um, You'll recall that this is tiny little Israel here. This is Europe, by the way, in case you, I know I'm terrible artist. Um, So this is the Roman Empire over here. Notice the boot. There's Crete, where we have a guest house. Thanks to the Alex family. Here's Greece. Here's Turkey, Asia Minor, Ephesus is up there. Um, That's the Roman Empire. It actually goes way up to Northern Europe, Um, England all the way up to Scotland eventually. All North Africa belongs to the Roman Empire. And way over here into Asia in the Middle East, this is Arabia. It's just a desert, so nobody cared to claim it. It's full of nomads who have a penchant for killing everyone they see. Um, so people liked, people, for a number of reasons, people like to stay out of the Arabian desert. Um, this side is the Parthian Empire. It used to be called the Persian Empire. They didn't like Persian name anymore. They changed it. So this goes way this way, OK? And so they got the Parthian Empire. To the east, you have the Roman Empire to the west, and they have been fighting at this point for about 60 years. They would eventually end up fighting for almost 300 years, these two empires. Bang, bang, bang all the time. They did most of their fighting right up here, as you would expect, right in between the two where they touch. So Armenia, places like that actually still feel the weight of that battle, to be honest. Um, and in this tiny little spot here, I actually made Israel a little bigger than it actually is, so just so you could see it from there. That little thing there is Israel. So Israel is part of the Roman Empire, but right on the edge. Okay? And so they're right in between these two kingdoms that are doing this. So Israel, not a fun place to be right now. Okay? They are oppressed by a pagan government who thinks their God is very silly. And they don't let them do the things they want to do, worship the way they want to worship. They tax them to death. 
and they're extremely oppressive. A Roman soldier could come up to you and say, I want to stay in your house tonight, and you would say, yes, sir, you may stay in my house tonight. And here's all my food, and take anything you want on your way out, which is what they would do. In fact, that's how Roman soldiers supplemented their wages, was by basically plundering the people that they would quarter with as they went through. That was very common. They could also say, I want you to carry all my stuff for me for a whole mile. And you had to do it. You had to take all their gear and carry it for a whole mile, and then you could give it back to them. That's why Jesus said, to walk a mile, go a second mile. Remember that one? That's what he's talking about there. Um, so not a great time to be born as a Jew uh, from our perspective, from a human perspective. And yet God looked at that mess and said, what a perfect time to bring Jesus. What a perfect time. And so over here, you've got some folks that are referred to as wise men or magi. We don't know exactly where they're from. They could be from Babylon. They could be from somewhere further over here. It's possible they were even from India. We don't know. It doesn't say. It just says from the east. But it calls them wise men, which is a specific term that is used a lot in the Old Testament. Can anybody remember wise men showing up in the Old Testament? Two particular places. One was here in Egypt. Do you remember those wise guys? So Moses would battle, Pokemon style, with the wise men of the Egyptians. And he'd throw down his staff, Pokemon reference, and it would turn into a snake. And then the wise men would throw down their staffs, and their staffs would turn into snakes. And then Moses, this is really in the book, folks. I'm not making this up. It's in the book. And Moses' snake would eat the other snakes, and he would win. That's a real story. It really happened. Okay, so those are the wise men in Egypt. They're magicians. They're practitioners of the black arts. They're totally, totally possessed by demons. They're bad guys, okay? Then, flash forward a little bit, the Israelites get captured. They get brought to Babylon. And when they're in captivity in Babylon, when we read about guys like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the wise men show up in that, those stories as well, right? And they're bad guys. The wise men are bad guys. They're the ones who plot to get Daniel killed and thrown in the lion's den. They're the ones who plot to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into a furnace. Bad guys. The wise men are bad guys. Period. End of sentence. End of topic. Matthew is writing to Jews. Matthew's target audience is the Hebrews. Okay? And it's important to know that as you read through Matthew. That's why there's so much Old Testament prophecy that Matthew brings out to show people, look, this is the guy. He's the guy. He's the guy. He's the guy. Okay? more than the other Gospels, because he's trying to get through to his people that this is who Jesus is. He was always prophesied. He's the one who was to come. And so when, he, when we read wise men from the East, Matthew intends us to think, boo, right? They're bad guys, totally contrary and against the purposes of God. So when we read wise men, we're supposed to say boo, because they're bad, okay? And yet... In this story, and Jesus himself does this many times through his teaching when he talks about the Good Samaritan, you're supposed to say boo when you hear Samaritan too. And Jesus flipped that one around. And this is another one of those stories. When the first century Jews, second century Jews even, are reading this, they can't believe this story. Wise men came and they worshipped Jesus? What? That's insane. These are the least likely people imaginable to come and worship Jesus. They're the enemy. They're the bad guys. So what in the world is going on here? Well, what happened is Daniel sort of beat up the wise men, <laughs> spiritually speaking, 
in Babylon back in the day. After that, the wise men sort of gained a healthy respect, you might say, for the Hebrew scriptures. They're like, whoa, there's some real power here. There's something real going on. We should pay attention to this. And so the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, is something that the wise men in Babylon from that day on studied because they studied everybody's prophecies and everybody's holy texts, and they picked and choose, and you know that's what magicians do. And so they were very familiar with the Hebrew text. And so when they saw a new star show up in the sky, and they, they, they worshiped the stars, they studied the stars, the astrologers as well. And so a new sky, star shows up in the sky, they notice. That's not something you hide for someone, from someone who studies stars. They know exactly what's there. They, they predict what will happen based on this. Like it, they do that today still. You can pick up any paper, and it will give you your horoscope predictions, which I recommend you never read that, by the way, because the Bible considers that divination. It's witchcraft. It's occult. It's bad. Don't meddle in stuff like that, please. Um, but these guys did professionally do that. Okay? And so they see a new star. Again, bad guys. Bad guys. They see a new star, and they're like, what is this? Anybody, anybody think of any... There's going to be a new star prophecies. And they think about it. One guy's like, there's a Hebrew thing way back in the day. And so they look in Numbers. It's Numbers chapter 24. And they find this old prophecy. And they're like, whoa, okay. This he old Hebrew prophecy. I mean, Moses wrote Numbers, right? Old Hebrew prophecy now came true. Well, what does this prophecy mean? Who is this person going to be? Well, he's going to be king of the Jews. They knew that. But I think they had a hint that he was going to be something more than that. And so they do something insane. They decide to go see it, which makes no sense at all. Um, they knew there was a new star. They knew that was prophesied in the Hebrew text, which makes that text legitimate. Does it maybe make that God legitimate too? I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. We'll, we'll guess that in a little bit. But this was a very risky journey, okay? Um, I just want to set the stage for you here. So these guys are government advisors to this empire. They are now going to travel to the enemy empire. Not a great idea. Okay? They work for the emperor. They're part of the court. They're wise men. They're officials. They're government officials. And wise men were used sort of like we would use intelligence officers today. They'd be like, where's the battle going to be? And they'd do their magic stuff and tell them where the battle's going to be and stuff like that. So they basically work for Parthian intelligence. Uh, imagine an American gets caught in North Korea. Okay? An American gets caught in North Korea. They find out the American works for the CIA. What's going to happen to that dude or gal? Nothing good. Nothing good. Okay? That's basically what's going on here, okay? These guys work for Parthian intelligence. They're on a speaking basis with the emperor. They are now going to leave home, I'm guessing without permission, it doesn't say, but it would be very strange for them to give permission for this sort of thing. They are probably going to travel through the Arabian desert because it's a little safer than going straight through the Roman territory. Remember, we said nomads. They like to kill people. Not only that, desert, hot, no water, very difficult. And they're going to make this incredibly long journey. We don't know how long it took them. It could have taken them a couple years. We're talking about a long-term travel plan here. This is not a last-minute, spur-of-the-moment deal. You don't make that journey on the spur of the moment. You have to have 
hired soldiers. You have to have camels. You have to have cooks. You have to have support staff. You, I mean, we're talking probably a really big group of people, maybe 100 people. I don't know. We'll find out in heaven when we watch it on DVD, but, which I'm looking forward to personally. Um, so we're talking about a big group of people. We're talking about a very, very risky journey. Their health is at risk. Their very lives are at risk. Not only from the journey itself, bandits, all that kind of stuff, dying, being too thirsty, camels spitting at you. Um, but once they cross over, now they're in enemy territory. They're in Roman territory. If they get caught, good night. Okay? This is really, really risky. Not only that, that giant retinue of people that I just described, that sounds expensive. Right? And that's one of the reasons why tradition later said that they were kings. It, the Bible doesn't say they were kings. It says they were wise men. But it was later said, well, maybe they were kings because they had to have been rich to make this kind of journey. It just would have been so insanely expensive. Can I hire you and all your camels and all your soldiers for like two years to come with me? That's expensive stuff. Not to mention the expensive gifts they bring, which are crazy expensive. Okay? So they are sacrificing most, if not all, of their fortune. They are risking their lives and their health and their livelihood and everything else. And they're risking their jobs, probably lost their jobs at this point. You don't abandon the emperor. That's not something that's done, especially not to go to enemy territory and worship an enemy king. Because this guy thinks of himself as a god. You're supposed to worship me. Remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and all those guys. They called themselves the king of kings. He made everybody worship him like a god. And you're telling me that you are going to leave and go to the enemy and worship one of them as a god? I don't think so. I'm guessing the other wise men are not too keen on this plan. They probably didn't tell him, to be honest. Um, so they're risking their jobs. They're, honestly, they're risking absolutely everything. They're risking absolutely everything. Why would you do that? These are bad guys. They're the enemy. They're pagans. They grew up in a very different culture, in a very different country, raised to hate everybody who wasn't them. It's, it's amazing. I think these guys are some of the most courageous people in the Bible, honestly. Um, they're giving up their own culture. They're giving up their own religion because they don't just show up. They worship Jesus, it says. They worship him. Now, it doesn't say if they came there to worship him. They may have just came there to pay homage to the king who was prophesied. We don't know for sure. Um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of of two minds about it. On the one hand, I don't know why you would leave just to pay homage to a king and risk all this. It seems they must have. They must have, but it doesn't say that. They just saw it in the scriptures. They saw the star. What does this mean? Let's go figure it out. But this is more than professional curiosity. Okay, this is huge risk. And so I'm going to guess they looked in the Hebrew scriptures and decided to inquire of the Hebrew God, and he answered them. That's what I think. It's also possible that they just felt something they couldn't explain, and they just needed to do it. And so they risked everything to, to, to search out God. And they came and they saw Jesus and then they had the revelation of who this really was and they fall on their knees and they worship him. I don't know which one it was, but either way, it's amazing and it's crazy. Sarah? Well, and there's a lot of people that, that come from that religion that are priests. Yes. And they don't 
Yeah, that, I think that's I think that's possible. Yeah, there's like maybe they had that realization that there's power here and there's power there and there's power there, but there's only truth here. There's only love here. There's only God here, right? Right. A new, no, that's pretty rare for a new star to appear bright enough that we can see it. And scientifically, we understand that that's impossible. It's crazy. Stars just don't show up, but it did. So we're talking something miraculous here. Did you? Right. Yeah. And it, that could have been part of it. Like, if you know, they had dedicated their lives to this. I mean, they they would cut themselves. They'd cut off limbs. And I mean, th these kind of pagan religions are not fun experiences. Um, so they've devoted their life to this stuff. And then the idea that. And at this point, they've probably figured out that it's all bubkis, right? There might be power there, but it's not good. Um, and then to find something that might give hope. What if there really is a Messiah? What if he would let us worship him? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's worth it. This is like their whole life, their whole everything. Um, so maybe, maybe that. We don't know. We don't know their motivations. But we know that they risked a lot. They sacrificed a lot. And... These are some of the first people to worship Jesus, and they're not even Jews. They're enemies. These are the last people you would expect. And again, a first century Jewish person reading this, wise men, boo. What? Even the wise men came to worship Jesus? That didn't even happen in Egypt. After all the plagues, the wise men didn't worship God. It didn't happen in Babylon after all the miraculous things Daniel did. But it happens now with this baby? That's weird. That's noteworthy. Yeah, Laura. Um, we we don't know. It says they come they come to the house where they were staying, so they were there long enough that they had a house. Um, Mary and Joseph and the baby. They, they came to Bethlehem. I, the, the manger would have been done with. The, yeah, the, 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 they, the manger was probably only one night, maybe two. They would have tried, the, Joseph would have tried his best to find a place to stay. And I'm sure they eventually did. Um, Yes. Quite a bit later. And the star appeared, and it, that's a long journey. You know, even by Uber, that would take a long time. Because, um, again, we're talking about trekking through desert on camels with a huge retinue of people. This is going to take a long time. And then in verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child. So they're in a house at that point. I don't know that they own the house or what, what the deal is, but they're in a house. And so all the, all the wise men went into the house where the baby was. Um, so it could have been a while. We don't know how long. Jesus was still a baby. He was like, 
Yeah, he wasn't like five or six. He was still a baby, but he could have been walking by then. I don't know. It says they saw where the child laid, so he was lying down, but he could have just been sleeping. We don't know. Right. So that's why, so that's why we think he, he could have been as much as two, but that would have been the most, since Herod's like, kill everybody two and under. So he, he figured out when the star came. So his, his astro Herod's astrologers had seen the star as well. And the star must have been, you know, let's say, just as a guess, 18 months. And so just to be safe, he's like, make it two and under um, to kill everybody. But it had been a while. It wasn't like the shepherds show up, and then they leave, and then the wise men show up, and then they leave. It's, it's quite a bit later. And we don't know how many there were. There might have been three. There were three different gifts. But it could have been they've got five gifts of gold, three frankincense, and a myrrh. You know, we don't know. We don't know how many people there were, how many gifts were given or any. There were three different gifts. That's what we know. Um, and we know they risked a lot to do this. This was a crazy thing, especially for these folks, and especially to the audience reading Matthew. Um, this is a lot of sacrifice, a lot of risk. It's, it's stark. It's, it's, it really stands out. And it makes me wonder for us, what have we risked for God lately? What have we sacrificed for God lately? They gave up their jobs, maybe their families, their religion, their culture. When they get back home, they might be traitors. They might be treated as treasonous. We don't know. We don't even know if they made it home. It doesn't say. But what we do know is that God honored them. He honored these wise men, these magi, because they gave him a dream. It said, don't go back to Herod. Go a different way. So God was awed <laughs> by these folks. It was like, whoa, okay, I'm going to send you a dream to keep you guys safe because you guys are awesome. And he also gave them a choice by doing that. All right, we can go back to Herod like Herod commanded us to, or we can disobey the king who may then tell the Romans, who may then hunt us down and flay us alive. Romans like to play people alive. It was fun for them. Um, and so they had a choice to make, and they choose to protect Jesus and not go back and tell Herod. Another amazing thing. At that point, they know they're risking their lives. I'm going to disobey the king. I'm not going back. We're running another way. And they chose to do that to protect Jesus, which is pretty awesome. Again, they're risking their lives to protect him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Get their hooks into them, absolutely. So it is, that is a possibility. It's a possibility that they came with evil intent and risked all of this for an evil intent, but when they saw Jesus, they fell to their knees and went, whoa, this is real. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's definitely a possibility. So we don't know. But what we do know is they were genuine about their worship. 
because it says they worshiped him. It doesn't say they just genuflected or they just gave it. It says they worshiped him and God himself gave them this dream to protect them and Jesus. And so the fact that God responded with, hey, don't go back. You got to get out of here. Flee now. That says to me that they were genuine at the, at the baby, you know, at, at, which is in and of itself crazy, worshiping a baby to us. But they, worshiping a baby for them wouldn't have been that big of a deal. When the emperor had a kid, you go worship him. That, that was normal for them. Uh, Steve. Absolutely, and that's, that's, that, that is a sermon that goes back to like 90 AD. Um, they preached on the wise men in the first century. Well, it was right before you. Um, and so, no, the wise men were one of the things that the first century Jews liked the most. And I think this story is something they liked because it was so unexpected and so crazy. Wise men, they're the bad guys, right? Um, but the, the, the tradition of what each gift represented, that goes back to the first century. That this, this is what these gifts meant. And the, the leave everything at Jesus and go a different way. So we presume they left their pagan worship and all those gods and all those oaths and all that stuff, they left at the feet of Jesus and they went a new way. Because we don't know what happened. Maybe they went back to Babylon and started proselytizing people. Maybe, who knows? We don't know. Maybe they decided to go somewhere else. Um, but, yeah, they, they were different. They were changed. Um, yeah. Laura, did you have something else? Okay, no problem. Yes. Mm -hmm. So probably they were still there when they got this group of people coming in out of the north who were religious and had some sort of resolution, resolve right. about taking this long journey. Right, because it's not a whim kind of a thing. Right. It's not a, oh, let's go to Bentleyville tonight and see the lights. Right. Like, <laughs> that's only a two-hour drive, you know. This is months and months and months. So I agree. It's pretty amazing. So... Um, backtracking a little bit to Herod now. Um, they came and they asked Herod, so where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? So this is interesting. Why do they go to Herod and ask this? Right. It's, it's interesting for multiple reasons. One, he's an enemy king. Two, He's not Roman, but he's a Roman puppet, and he certainly has some power. So why go to him and say, where, has, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? This is a guess. They assumed he would know because he's the king. I think they probably assumed it was his kid. Why would it not? Who else is going to be the next king but the king's son? And yes, and this isn't just the king's son. This is the Messiah, whatever that means, right? So I think they came to Herod because they just assumed. Well, the new king's going to be awesome, but should come through the normal king. But should come through the normal king, absolutely. So they come and they ask, where's the king? And Herod flips out <laughs> and knocks stuff over and swears and leaves the room. And all the wise men look nervous and follow him. Or all his, his wise men look nervous and follow him. And then, and then these guys are like, what just happened? You know? And... One of the guys is like, I don't think he's had a baby recently because he looks freaked. 
and they're like, crap, what do we do now? I don't know. He won't let us leave. The guys have spears over there. So I guess we'll just sit around and wait. And so Herod goes and asks his wise men, what's going on? They see the Messiah has been born. And they look it up and they're like, oh, yeah, that star. We shouldn't have noticed that. Uh, so <laughs> just kidding. It's Bill's fault. Cut his head off. Um, they're like, the, the one thing we can tell you for sure is the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. So write in Micah really clear. Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Parthian. Um, I don't know specifically if there was any issue there. Rome hadn't been um, occupying Israel all that long at this point. I mean, a whole generation, but um, long enough for the kids not to know anything else. Um, but, but obviously, there's historical tension. The whole, we kind of remember you kept us as slaves for a really long time and didn't like that. Um, and so there's definitely some tension. I don't know that there would be any specific tension. Um, so they went there. It was the proper thing to do, to go talk to the king, right? They asked him, so where, where's he who has been born king of the Jews? I think they assume it's his kid. He's like, what? He goes and asks. So Herod decides, I'm going to use these guys, okay? And so he tells the wise men, our scriptures say he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Go search him out, find the child, and then come back and tell me so I too may go worship him. And the wise men are like, oh, that sounds plausible, and they leave. And Herod's like, because <laughs> um, he's evil. And it's, it's interesting that this sound, like when we read the story, we know the end. We know he kills all the babies, and we know how evil Herod is. But at the beginning, it, it is a simple choice that he makes. Like, and we're faced with that choice all the time, I think. Are we going to humble ourselves and do what God says, or are we going to do what we want? And we're faced with that choice all the time. So go back to the beginning of the story. The wise men show up. The prophecy happens. There's a Messiah. Herod could humble himself before God. That's what he's supposed to do. He's the king. This is literally what they were supposed to have been waiting for forever. And he's the king. He's the one responsible he should be in charge of welcoming the Messiah and celebrating and all that, protecting. And instead, he chooses himself and his own power. If, if there's another king coming, that's bad for me because I'm the king. And he doesn't want to lose what he has. He doesn't want to lose his money, his power, all his ladies, all that stuff. And so he chooses himself. And eventually, that gets that choice becomes darker and darker and darker until he's like, Go kill all those babies. And now all of a sudden, he is Pharaoh, the evilest one of all, slaughtering all the firstborn. And so that slippery slope to where the king of the Jews becomes just as evil as Pharaoh. But it starts out with simple, selfish choices. I'm going to choose not to humble myself before God. I'm going to choose my own way. Now, I think Herod was already evil by this point, for sure, okay? I'm not saying he was an awesome guy and then started becoming evil here. <laughs> I really doubt it. In early church tradition, when Jesus descends into hell, preaches the good news, the righteous part of hell, and leaves, only two people didn't come with him, according to old church tradition. Judas and Herod the Great. According to early church tradition, Judas and Herod the Great decided they're not going to go with Jesus, they're going to stay in hell. 
I don't know that that's true. But that's how much these guys dislike Herod. <laughs> they are not, he is not their favorite king. Um, and so I want us to think about that. This is a, Herod is a scary character in the midst of an interesting story. And I think it's a sober reminder for us, like, not to go that way. Like, the one who you expect to welcome Jesus, worship him, help him, he tries to murder him. The ones you would least expect. Wise men. They come. Boo, thank you. Boo. Um, they come, and they not only worship Jesus, they save him. And right after that, God gives Joseph a dream. I don't know if the wise men talked to Joseph about their dream. I don't know. Um, but God gave Joseph his own and said, time to get out of town. And then they went and spent time back in Egypt as refugees. So there's a lot of comparisons here bef- between like the Joseph story and the Moses Exodus story and this story. It's like a reverse. Herod's the evil pharaoh killing all the babies. Jesus escapes to Egypt. Who welcomes him? And he lives there as a, a refugee for a while until Herod the Great dies. It's very interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there definitely was always intrigue. Assassination was, you know, a parlor game back then. Um, and so, yes, he had reason to be suspicious. But this is a fairly unique thing. There's a new star. These guys have come from another country thinking the Messiah has been born. He clearly didn't inquire of the Lord at all, <laughs> you know? Um, but he had everybody look it up. So he believed them. He believed them. And I think once his wise men looked it up, um, I think when his wise men took, looked it up, they're like, this, this, is, this is real. we got to figure this out now. Um, yeah, Joshua. If it's real, I mean, that's what he Right. Again, even if he doesn't, yeah, and if he doesn't really believe it, then, he, then how, it's almost more evil because he's just capriciously killing all the babies. Well, this, the census was um, Caesar. Yep, yep. Um, he had to play along with that. Um, but he probably also took a cut of the taxes off the top. That's how selfish he was. To think, this is a true prophecy but I love myself and my power and my position so much, I'm going to go very obviously against the will of God. I mean, it's pretty... You can see why they hated Herod the Great. He was also, they also saw him as um, a puppet of Roman complicit, which he was. He went along with a lot of Roman stuff so that he could, again, keep his power, keep his money, keep his great... You know, Herod built the temple. This is the Herod that rebuilt the temple. Okay? So some people liked him. Um, but mostly not, <laughs> especially the, re- the later Christians, very much not. Yeah. I just think that this really signifies a man from a lineage Yeah. 
And and it really shows the the danger of this kind of leadership. I mean, imagine if Herod hadn't been like Pharaoh, but was instead a king like David. Imagine how differently everything would have gone. But again, God intentionally sent Jesus now. He knew who was king. And God, like, nope, this is going to happen because my son needs to be oppressed. He needs to be a refugee. Which is another crazy thought to, co- to connect with last week on the sacrifice of the incarnation. God, this, this does not surprise God. What? They're killing all the babies? Oh, my. No, th- this was all foreseen, okay? Um, and God sent him anyway. He didn't wait for everything to be awesome. He did it in the middle of some of the worst time in history for Israel. Steve. Andrew, could you pass Steve the mic? Trying to get better at remembering that. It's for the recording because people listen to it on podcast and then they're like, I didn't hear the question. Yeah. His voice is getting lower every day. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, who's in my house? Mm-hmm. If, if we're not raised knowing the Lord, and when you first you hear about the Lord, it's like, uh, well, what do you mean? I'm the boss of my world. I'm the yep. king of my kingdom. I decide what I'm going to do, and I'm supposed to give it all over to someone else, all that control. Yep. And it puts me in check. And then when you hear another message, and as you said, that, that's like killing the babies and all that. I want to hear about it. I agree. I see myself in Herod. I see all of us in Herod, I think, to a degree. Um, And we think, oh, he's so evil, which he obviously was, but we're capable of any of that too. And how often do we choose our own way? How often are we supposed to humble ourselves and instead we're like, no, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what I want because what I want is better or because I don't understand his way anyway. I'm just going to do my own thing. Or maybe we compartmentalize it and we're like, yeah, Jesus is king of kings and lord of my heart in religious stuff. But when it comes to where I work or what I do with my money, well, that's none of his business. What I do with my money is me. I'm going to go my own way when it comes to what to do with money and say no to the baby, to Jesus. Um, I think we do that kind of stuff. And so it might be easy to judge Herod, but I think we should look at ourselves first and say, in what ways am I denying the birth of the Messiah? In what way am I denying the true king of kings in my own heart or in my own life? Maybe we worship the king of kings in this part, but we're like, over here, there's, there's no room for him. And maybe that's because we've just never been taught that Jesus is supposed to be Lord of our life, which means everything. We give him everything. I think these wise men gave him everything. They risked everything. They sacrificed everything. Herod gave nothing because he wanted it all for himself. And so that's the juxtaposition here. And we need to ask ourselves, are we giving him everything all the time? If he asked us to make a risky journey, would we do it? If he says, quit your job and do this. If he says, 
sell your house, move into a smaller place, give all that money to somebody who needs it. If he says something scary, something risky, if he gives us a mission that's going to take years to do, and it's going to be really hard, and we're going to hate it, are we going to say yes? Or are we going to say nope? I like my life. I like my stuff. I like what I have. I'm not going to do that. So it's easy to judge Herod, but when we look at our own lives, it's like, how often do we actually make those choices? And then the scary part is, if we are making those choices, how quickly are we going to slip down the slope and start doing things that are really evil and things that are blatantly against God? So I, I, find, it, um, I find the wise men really inspiring. I find Herod really sobering because I know myself and I know my ability to choose my own way or just to choose comfort, or to choose convenience. Yeah, Ruth. So um, she said that the, the Pharisees did the same thing, basically, as Herod. And it's, it's true. They, I think part of them recognized the divinity of God in Jesus. And yet they still says, we will not allow this man to rule over us, because we're going to kill him. They knew he was sent by God at that point. And you know that from other places, because they talk to each other, and they're like, how else could he do these miracles if he's not a real prophet? And they decide, it doesn't matter. He's upsetting the status quo. We have power. We like our power. We will not let him rule over us. And I think we say that all the time. When God says, do this, and we're like, I don't want to. I will not let you rule over me. And when I, when I, when I see stuff like this, it, it gives me pause because I realize that I do that too much and have done that in the past. And I'm thankful for a God who forgives God would have forgiven Herod. It's pretty clear that Herod never repents, but God would have forgiven him had he done it. Even for this. <laughs> Even for this chapter. Because um, that's who God is. And so we can receive forgiveness, and we can move into an area of deeper kingship of Jesus in our lives. Um, and I think, that's what, I think that's what he wants from us. So I'm going to pray for us. And you can just agree with this in your heart if, if you agree. Um, Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus, and I thank you for sending examples to really inspire us. I'm really inspired by these wise men who had no reason to do what they did from a totally different culture, totally different country, language, religion, everything. And they risked it all and sacrificed it all and humbled themselves. It's really amazing the least likely person imaginable, and they humbled themselves before you. And I think about the times that I haven't, when I've been given everything, and I still don't, like Herod. 
So, Lord, I ask your forgiveness for those times. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would point those out in me in the future. Like you were clearly working in the hearts of the wise men. I pray that you'd work in my heart, in our hearts. That when you're asking us to do something and we make a selfish choice, that you'll put your finger on that and say, whoa, this is what you're doing. You're making a choice for you and you're not obeying me. Lord, I pray that your kingship in our lives would increase. And with increased kingship comes increased majesty. The glory of the Lord will be increased in our lives the more he becomes king in our life. (coughs) So maybe that's why these guys are kings. Maybe they came, came wise men and left kings. But Lord, I pray that you would help us because we need it. The selfish choice is usually the default. Train us out of that, please. We need your help. We cannot possibly do this on our own. Uh, So we thank you that you sent Jesus to help us and that you sent the Holy Spirit so that we could walk as he walked and that we could do what he did and even greater things because you're with us. And I pray that throughout the next week as we're thinking and planning for Christmas, um, that we would be willing to be surprised by a new star that shows up and takes us a different way than we were expecting. I pray, Lord, for all those who would like to receive this. I pray for divine appointments over the next couple weeks. People at work, at school, at Cub, whatever, that we can encourage that we can build up, that we can point towards the manger so they can make their decision on whether or not they want to walk that way or not. We thank you for the food that we're about to receive. Pray that you would bless the hands that made it and provided it for us. Pray that you bless our fellowship time together. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to smile on you and be gracious towards you. May he look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.